Direct from the Broski Nation headquarters in Los Angeles, California, this is the Broski Report with your host, Brittany Broski. Hello! Hello! Wake up! Wake up! Hands off the wheel! Nightmare! Nightmare! You're in a dream! Wake up! Hey guys, welcome back to the Broski Report, starring me, your host, Brittany Broski, the host of the Broski Report. There can never be another, right? Okay? A lot, a lot has transpired since the seven days that I spoke to you last. And I want you to know that uh, immediately off the bat, you're going to be mad at me. I don't give a f- new white boy of the month. Okay. It hasn't even been a month. New white boy of the week. At this, at this rate, we are turning and burning. Okay. Turn and burn. I just need warm bodies and seats. New White Boy of the Month immediately. I don't even have to say it, dude. Of course, it's Tom Blythe. I'm like annoyed. I'm annoyed. I'm angry. I'm livid. That this is the reality that I have to live. (laughs) Hold on. I put this on my Instagram story. Throw it up here. And I agree with it. I'm still, this is going to be my literal, put this on my tombstone. Is my predetermined earthly punishment to be forever shackled by the wrist to these white men of the month? When will I be free of them? When will I see the sun and feel its warmth once more? When will I have an explore page that passes the Bechtel test? When will I know true peace? And I put that over a photo of Tom Blythe. I, at this point, it's turning into almost a poetic torture. I'm a tortured artist. And there is a layer here that... Most fangirls can relate to, and I'm going to get real, I'm going to get real serious for a second. If you don't mind me, let me step up onto my metaphorical soapbox and just complain for a second. Being a fangirl is hard work, okay? There's a certain level of delusion that is involved in being a fangirl, thinking I could, in the right scenario, have a chance with this celebrity, right? There is a yin to that yang, of knowing you will never, ever, even if you were in that situation, you won't be picked by that person, okay? This is part of the fangirl problem. And it's what keeps the industry afloat, is that there is a hope and a delusion there that just, it just put them in a room with me, right? I can charm them. Like they're the one for me. I know this. Just give me a chance. But then there is that other part of you that's like, they're too beautiful. They're too hot. They're too successful. They're too famous. It would never happen. And you accept that, but there's that small kernel of hope. And what keeps this industry alive other than money and that small kernel of hope? Okay. This is why the fangirl is the spine of Hollywood. You need someone to go to the premieres, to write fan mail, to buy the fucking merch, to stream the music. This is why fangirls are an integral part of entertainment. That being said, there is a sort of sadness that comes with that. For me specifically, I don't want to speak for anyone else. And I don't mean this in a, oh, I'm ugly. I don't mean that because I know that I'm beautiful. I know that I have my, you know, skills and my talents and my worth does not come from beauty. First and foremost, let me put that out there. Beauty is just an enhancement and I'm lucky that I have it. Okay. Everyone's beautiful in their own way. I have the beholder, 
right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is not a, a monotone, cookie-cutter mold thing. But in our Western society, with people that look like this, yeah, sorry, okay? I'm gonna like talk down on myself really quick. There's no chance. I, I think that, and I know that there's there's a problem in that thinking, but like, can you be fucking serious for a second? We were talking about Jacob Elordi last week or the week before. We're talking about Tom Blythe this week. These are very conventionally attractive, hot white men. They are dating models, bitch. Be so serious. Can you just like put your thinking cap on for a second? Thinking cap break. Everyone bust them out. I know we don't use them a lot on this channel, on this podcast. Everyone bust out your thinking caps. It's not going to happen. But there are some couples that give me hope, okay? Where it's clear that the woman, <laughs> that the woman was the personality hire. <laughs> and the opposite can also be true. More often than not, I would say the man is the personality hire. But that's the difference. Is, that's the difference is women love ugly, cute guys who are funny and smart. Men don't reciprocate that because men are too surface level and they are too shallow to ever. And I'm speaking in generics here. Okay. I'm speaking in, in generalities, it is very rare that a man will look at a woman and say, I love how smart she is. And I love how loud she is. And I love how sure of herself. And I love all these little quirks. And I love her sense of humor. And I love how she's witty. And I love whatever. No, girl, the first thing a man's noticing is I love her lips. I love her ass. I love her whatever. And that's just an inherent difference in the sexes. And, you know, I'm not going to change that, but that is just like, I know that to be true. And I can exist in this level of delusion where, yes, put me in a room with Tom Blythe, put me in a room with Hosier for 30 minutes. I'm coming out with a ring on my finger. Yeah, it's a joke. Unless it's not. Hosier, please respond to my DM. <laughs> Hosier, I'll get back to you in a second. When it comes to people like that, where it's like, Oh, and on top of that, they're at the peak of their success right now. Like, they're on the fucking come up, bitch. Jacob Elordi, it was his month for November with the release of, of uh, Priscilla and Saltburn or whatever. Like, he's having a renaissance right now. Tom Blythe, white boy of the month. There are so many people thirsting after these men. But what keeps that alive, what keeps the thirst edit culture alive is that people think if I ever to just run into him, if I were ever to run into him on the street, uh, he would fall in love with me. Like, that's a real thing that, that fangirls think. And there's a validity to it because the internet makes you think it's possible. Also, do I want to date an actor? No. Hey, no. I cannot be fighting for attention or for the spotlight with my partner. My partner needs to know when to sit down and shut the fuck up and let me shine. Okay? There can't, we cannot be fist fighting for the number one spot, for, for the attention. I am not opposed to dating an entertainer or dating someone who who has a talent like that, who, because that's hot, you know, like a t having a partner with a talent who doesn't just do a normal job, even though that might be good for me. Um, it's hot. And I think that they understand the industry, you know, and we could talk about it. It'd be nice. But like, I don't know. There's a lot of insecurity when you do this for a job, when you get paid to do your talent. And... Uh, you're always fighting for the next gig and you're fighting to, for relevance and you're fighting for the spotlight and you're fighting for money and a check. And it's like, it's cutthroat. And I don't know, I've seen it tear apart relationships before and that's crazy. 
Anyway, that being said, Tom Blythe, I know you have a girlfriend, but if it does not work out, I am just, you know where the studio is, okay? You know what the studio looks like. We could have you on. <laughs> Tom Blythe, just, you know where to find me. Some set changes to go over. We have a new addition. A new islander is into the villa. I don't know what that was. I don't know how to do Scottish. A new islander has entered the villa. This is my Night King from Game of Thrones. My friend Jack gave it to me. We have another fucking Funko Pop on the table. And I just ordered another one that's coming in this week. We have the Night King. And I've kind of arranged them in a sort of uh, aviary aerial formation where the Night King is at the front of the bird pack. We have Ghost back on his right flank, uh, kind of securing the perimeter. Ghost has a sniper, uh, or I guess this is an assault weapon. And uh, he's kind of guarding this back right flank. We've got Kylo and Mando up in the front, absolutely taking charge to protect the Night King from any forward attacks. Ghost is in the back from any posterior attacks, okay? We've got something really special going on here. Now, the next addition, Jake Sully, okay? Jake Sully from, you guessed it, Avatar. He is going to be positioned forward left flank. Maybe I don't know what flank is. The side of a person or animal's body between the ribs and the hip? Nope. The right or left side of a body of people, such as an army, a naval force, or soccer team. Yeah, left side. Be on each side. Yeah, so forward left flank is going to be Jake Sully. Potentially, I haven't found one that I like, but Jack Skellington, I need a Jack Skellington Funko Pop. I will find it eventually. And I want Zero with him as well. Because Mando has Grogu. Guys, it's really serious stuff up here. We've got the Mickey Mouse phone, which we haven't gotten uh, a nuke code call in a long time. Uh, all is well in Broski Nation. No threat of nuclear bombs, no radiation detected yet. And of course we have the globe over here to my left. I'll be honest with you guys, I feel diarrhea brewing right now. It's percolating like a Keurig. When you put the K-cup in the Keurig and you let it kind of like... <sighs> you know how it kind of gears up and it makes that noise like... Ugh. And it percolates and pushes it out. That's what my gut's doing right now. Sorry. Okay. So now that we have that out of the way, let me talk about Tom Blythe, you motherfucker. Shut up. What else do you expect from this podcast? I'm tired of apologizing at this point. I'm not going to apologize anymore. Apologies are over. Not, not a single other apology is coming from me. We are going to talk about Hunger Games unabashedly. I have thoughts. I have commentary. I have questions. I have moral ponderings to offer up to you all. Okay. Watched Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, right? Really fantastic movie. I did not know what to expect. I knew it was about Coriolanus Snow. I knew it was about President Snow, about uh, sort of his backstory up until a certain point, of course, because when we're introduced to President Snow in The Hunger Games, he is clearly a very old man. He's been president for decades and something in Katniss clearly triggers him. And that's the whole, you know, trilogy is uh, she represents the rebellion and he represents what you come to find out the generational corruption of the capital. Now, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I'm just going to talk about it. If you haven't seen it, I don't give a fuck. Go watch it. And then we can then come back to this episode. Okay. Lucy Gray is the lead woman. She is the love interest. She is the tribute, whatever. 
I think that Coriolanus and Lucy Gray have a love out of circumstance, out of out of forced proximity, forced context. And I don't know if that love was ever going to be strong enough to prevent what happens, which the ending is very, very, I love an open-ended movie like that. Because first of all, it leads for a, a sequel, a quick sequel, which please, please, I am begging. And it also leaves it open-ended to the viewer. You know, you can think what happened to Lucy Gray. Did she make it out? Did he actually kill her? Did whatever? Like, And I think it's so interesting watching him lose it, watching him go from this poor, starving, I won't say innocent, because of course he's upholding the sort of pillars of the Capitol ideologically, He goes from this starving boy who learns the ropes and how to play the games and the politics of not only the Hunger Games, but the capital at large. And you see at the very end, his sort of agreement and dissension into the evil spiral that we know President Snow as in the Hunger Games and in the trilogy. And I love, I I do think... How do you condense a book that's 500, 600 pages into a two and a half hour movie without leaving a few things out? I don't think it can be done. I think the movie was very, very, very good. I enjoyed it. I've seen it twice in theaters already. I saw it first with my friend Jack and he read the book. So he was able to fill in some plot holes for me. And then I watched it twice on my own because now I know what's going on. Girl, now I'm going for for a pleasure watch. I'm not going for an academic uh, philanthropic watch. I'm going for a pleasure watch. I'm going for the Tom Blythe of it all. For the love of Tom Blythe. So the movie all in all, I have some uh, notes about this style of acting that Lucy Gray's character, the actress, chose. Like some acting choices. I'm really over this girl-bossed, defiant, overly confident, you know chin high, whatever. Like I'm just over that sort of archetype of nothing bothers me. And Lucy Gray's character in the book, what's been described to me is she's very quiet, but she's very cunning. She's very smart, but she's quiet. In the movie, she's very, it's like this weird, bad Southern accent that she does. And she belongs to a group of traveling musicians in District 12, which is supposed to be, I think, reminiscent of the Romani, you know, traveling people and uh, uh, the the bands that, that travel by carriage. But the way that they did it here, the music was fantastic, by the way, produced by Dave Cobb, legend, icon, star. The music is so good. And I saw, I was like, really, girl, we're doing musicals? But the way that it was done, I mean, the music was good. And it was, it's Southern, of course. It's like, there's banjo, there's fiddle, there's there's the stand-up slap bass. And I it was so good. She's an incredible singer. But the acting choices that were made in some scenes, I just wasn't a big fan. I think that the subject matter in the Hunger Games, especially, you know, this is the 10th annual Hunger Games. There's still so much to be developed and so much to be, you know, what happens between then and to where you get up to the 74th Hunger Games with Katniss and Peeta. Like what a tumultuous, volatile, developmental time. I also think what pulled it out, pulled me out of it is she's got such a Gen Z face. Arguably Tom Blythe does too, where they're just hot people. 
Because when you, in a movie like that, where you have, the idea is from all the different districts and the capital, I want that like, you know, the normal looking people. These are working class people. I think she was too beautiful. And it kind of took me out of it. She was too beautiful. Her face is too perfect. She's, she's very thin. You know, she's very uh, just classically beautiful. And I, with a character with as much grit as that, who was just the entire movie beaten down and just the absolute textbook definition of oppressed and thrown into the games against her will and she's smart in her own right but her and snow together make quite the duo i just really don't appreciate the the girl bossification of it all she didn't need that as a character especially hearing that that wasn't how she was in the book i don't know what that choice was to make her like that i just i think women are so much more complex than that they're not strong all the time you can put on a front that you're strong but like i just it's it's not believable Concurrently, I have a similar feeling towards what Disney Pixar is doing recently. And I don't know if I've talked about this already, but this discourse has kind of been on TikTok online a little bit. I've seen some articles about it as well of people being really critical and uh, taking issue with the personality archetype of a lot of Pixar women. I think it started with Rapunzel from Tangled. It was mirrored in maybe Anna from Frozen, Moana, uh, the lead from Wish, I think uh, Raya and the Dragon, I think was uh, another one where it's just this, yeah, sorry, did I do that? Oh, uh, uh, Marisol from Encanto, Mirabelle. Uh, she's another one where it's just like kind of nerdy, goofy, quirky. It's the same personality for every single movie that's come out probably in the last five to eight years. And I just don't appreciate that, again, because if you're casting a woman, especially women from different cultural backgrounds and ethnicities, why the fuck would they have the same personality? It's annoying. The beauty and the value in the classic Disney princess movies is each one is distinctly different. The classic joke of, you know, you take a BuzzFeed quiz to see which Disney princess you are. It's because they're so different. You can clearly identify each one's qualities and match it, you know, to your own, if, if that's what we're talking about. In the new age of Disney Pixar and animated films coming out of Disney, I hope that there's a renaissance soon. They've kind of hit this plateau of movies or they're just doing live remakes of movies that no one really wants live remakes of. And I, the, what I love about Disney and the Imagineers and, and Disney animation is just the absolute well of creativity and it makes me upset and frustrated that you know some of those ideas probably are not seeing the light of day because they've seen success from movies like Tangled or Moana and whatever and and they see well it's working why would we do something different I want more movies like Soul or Inside Out you know these ones where it's not about a girl or a boy it's about concepts that also being said I think it's time we move away from the messaging in Disney films, and not just Disney. I mean, everyone's doing it. It's not so much about the story. It's not about the characters. It's about the messaging. And I think that was beneficial for a while. And now I'm just kind of over it. I want to see a good new story. So back to the Hunger Games. I really enjoy the movie. I, I've seen it twice. The unraveling of 
Coriolanus and how he you see him almost give in to the dark side, which I love. That's it's the Star Wars of it all, you know, of like you clearly see him battling this these compulsions and he wants to be better than the system. And then at the end, when, you know, Lucy Gray uh, uh, leaves him and when they kind of mutually understand that she will never join him in the Capitol, he belongs in the Capitol. He's from the Capitol. He may love her, but again, is that out of circumstance? And does he love her enough to stay with her? No, he defies his best friend. Uh, he sees her as a loose end and then she disappears. And now he holds this grudge against her and District 12 for breaking his heart, maybe, but also uh, running away, running, disappearing. And so it makes so much more sense having seen this prequel. I recently rewatched all the Hunger Games. God, the Hunger Games is, I love the Hunger Games. It's so good. And there's so much social commentary that I can just, like, how much time do we have? You know what I mean? Where... Knowing this, and I, I want another uh, prequel movie. Like, I don't think that that would be overdoing it. I want to know more about Snow. What did Snow do next? Okay, what steps? I want to know everything up until 74th Hunger Games. Knowing that backstory, just the little sliver of it, you're able to understand why Katniss and a symbol of the rebellion and rebels in general just gets under his skin because Katniss in so many ways reminds him of Lucy Gray and come to find out Coriolanus Snow's father killed by a rebel. Okay. Anyway, I'll say this. Okay. Hot take back to Tom Blythe. The curls, the long blonde curls. I'm fucking with that heavy. Oh yeah. Run it. Run it. Run the picture of him with the long blonde curls. <gasps> and then he got the buzz cut and listen, People were going feral. I understand. When he's, oh my God, when he's in the peacekeeper uniform and he's got the hat on, he's got that jaw and those those wide shoulders. And he, I love a military man. That's my illness. Okay. I love a man in uniform. When he's in that peacekeeper, <sighs> he looked so good, dude. But it's also like, oh, that's the beginning of the end. When they buzz his hair off, that's the death of the young boy who just wanted to get her out of the arena and and who may be leaning towards abolishing the games you know and and this is okay yes the games were supposed to be punishment for the districts rebelling against the capital but he's leaning towards like but look at her but lucy gray i love her and they develop this whatever you see that completely die he that completely dies by the end of the movie wow what a great great movie Rewatching. All of the Hunger Games. I totally forgot Mockingjay. The whole, like, Mockingjay part one and part two is so, obviously not being about the games, it's so heavy. And obviously the Hunger Games in general is a very heavy idea, similar to, I always think, Handmaid's Tale, where when I watched Handmaid's Tale, I was like, fuck me. Because it seems so outlandish at that first episode, you know, like, how could a society ever get to this point? How could we return to such barbaric ideals? And how could we subject women to that again? And then they show you. They show you exactly how it happens. Slowly but surely. I remember this one scene of she goes, June goes to the bank one day and she's trying to, like, withdraw money or use her credit card. And the bank teller's like, sorry, um, 
legislation was just passed today that we're not allowed to uh, let clients withdraw money without their husband's signature. She said, husband's signature? Why? It's just not allowed, ma'am. I'm sorry. And they denied her like her money because her husband didn't sign off on it. That's how it started. That's how it starts is it's these small pieces of legislature that's passed till slowly women are stripped of all their rights and they're, they're made as fucking incubuses for fetus. They're just seen as a birthing machine. And some of the women are taken as wives and because they're infertile because of whatever, I think it was it radiation, was it nuclear bombs? The fertile ones are used as handmaids, which is just, you know, they're violated. They get pregnant and then they belong to that family. And it seems so like, oh, it makes my skin fucking crawl, dude. But watching how that happened, I feel the same way about, you know, the storytelling in The Handmaid's Tale. I feel the same about The Hunger Games where I remember reading The Hunger Games and being like, oh, this would never happen. And then now I like rewatched it and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> like there are so many parallels to be drawn between. And I'm not saying we live in a dystopia. Maybe I am. I actually am. We do live in a dystopia. There are a lot of things that we accept as normal that are not fucking normal. And I'll, I'll preach this till I'm blue in the face that we have not recovered from the pandemic. That's a big part of it. We allowed life to try to carry on like normal after the pandemic and it just can't. It never will be the same. And we're acting like it is and it's fucking not. The Hunger Games to me, rewatching it all, is so... I just feel like what we're living through as Americans, specifically, because I don't want to talk about, you know, I can't talk about being from any other country. I'm talking about as an American, not having access to affordable, reliable healthcare, the food oasis and obesity epidemic that is in America, the mental health crisis in America, the poverty, the unemployment, all these things we have such access to resources and such access to wealth in theory. What the fuck is the disconnect? The disconnect is the greedy 1% and the separation we have from the 1% and how the 1% is insulated. Okay. It's also weird. I want to acknowledge speaking on this from the perspective of someone who graduated college and with a bachelor's degree under my belt was making $39,000 a year in Louisville, Texas, which is barely enough to live on. I mean, I was living paycheck to paycheck. And going from that to obviously what I do now is a big jump. And I'm very fortunate to be able to do what I do. And the money in this industry is just fucking stupid. No one needs that much money. But there's also no promise of tomorrow. You know, if something were to happen, if let's say influencer marketing or digital marketing was just like, didn't exist tomorrow, what would happen? And so planning for your future there is, is I mean, that's my philosophy. That's what I've been doing. It's it, There's no crazy rampant spending. There's spending that goes back into my business, but it's a scary thing. So now entering into, you know, that new tax bracket because of what this job and this platform has afforded me, it's a weird thing too, speaking on, you know, that wealth gap, because I have almost this level of survivor's guilt sometimes of, well, I made it out purely by luck and by chance. Like there is no, if, if this were all to happen again, I don't know if it would happen for me the same way. If I were to go viral in 2023, I don't think it would be the level of success that it was in 2019 because the world felt so much smaller in 2019 and the app 
TikTok was so much smaller. Now, it's such a, I feel very discombobulated about the whole topic because I'm sitting up here preaching about the 1% and how, and I will, I will keep doing that. The 1% is, you know, (laughs) I think honestly the enemy. Why does this one group of individuals control over 50% of the wealth in this country? That is literally insane. That is literally insane. How the fuck did we let that happen? And so back to the Hunger Games, bring it back to the Hunger Games. You look at the people in the Capitol and you think, how are they so removed from the despair and the sorrow and the devastation in the districts? And how can they, they resource farm? Like district four is fishing, district 12 is mining, whatever is lumber. Like they've separated it into all the district's uses and they just pull and pull and pull until there's nothing left. And then they continue. We're going to raise the quota of the lumber that you have to chop today. We're going to do this. We have to, we are making it harder and harder for you to live every day. And we are getting richer and richer and our lives are getting better and better. Who controls that? The 1%. And watching the Hunger Games in 2023 through the lens also, might I add, of being an adult, an adult who pays taxes, an adult who is now, my eyes are open to the injustices of the world and how cruel we are to each other as humans, the way that I was not aware of it to this level in high school. You're aware of certain things and, you know, you're socialized to... Also in the age of shock humor on the internet, you know, in shock videos, like sure, I saw some shit in high school, but the things that I'm, I'm, the lens through which I see life now, I watch the Hunger Games and it may seem silly and it may feel laughable, but I just, it, it was like, I got a chill, you know, it's like, it's not that far off. And that's a funny, like, I'm not trying to scare anyone or I'm not, but watching it, it's very clear Suzanne Collins was she sees it, you know, that funny feeling. She she gets it. She sees it. And watching the people in the Capitol, and there's that one scene that I remember it stuck with me in high school, probably because I was on eating disorder Tumblr, of that drink that they drink when they've eaten too much. It makes them throw up so they can eat more. So the food isn't even digesting. It's just to taste it. And then you just vomit it up. You just waste it. And there's people starving, dying of starvation in the districts. I remember reading that and being like, Okay, I wish they had that in real life so I could do that. <laughs> Me being bulimic. Okay, that actually sounds... <laughs> okay, wow, I wish they could admit that. Not really. Not really. That's a joke, kind of. In high school. But, no, you know, like seeing the waste and the excess in the capital and just that wealth gap, you know, and, and then watching the people band together and rebel. And... Watching the rebellion be censored. Wow. Just got to chill. Because even in, in my lifetime, I mean, so many tragic things have happened. I mean, history never stops and we are forced to be a part of it, whether we want to be or not. But living through, and I'm going to speak from personal experience, the Black Lives Matter protests in Los Angeles in 2020 and marching in the protests I remember we, we, I drove my car down, um, 
Beverly and we were handing out water and snacks because it was so fucking hot when we were protesting and it was the middle of COVID. We were wearing masks and, you know, we tried to stay uh, as far apart as we could, but we drove and we were handing out water to people. And I'm, I just like having lived through that, it feels like a different lifetime. It feels like a different world. And to march for something that you believe in so powerfully and to your core and just that is an inherent uh, truth to me. It's emotional to think that that sentiment has won humans their liberties over the history of humanity. You know, it's it's there is a power in rebellion and protest and saying, no, I will not accept this as my reality, actually. And it's just devastating. I mean, The Hunger Games is a trilogy. It's just so devastating. But it's so beautifully written. It's such a great story of hope, of fanning the flame of hope and growing it and adding things to it until it gets to this blazing inferno that no one can overcome. It will it will encompass everything. It will take over everything and burn everything to ash. It's oppressors, people that tried to put out the fire, it's it's there and it's a force to be reckoned with and things will die in the fire but the fire must burn on and the hunger games too there's so many times just like every single movie i was crying and maybe i'm about to start my period i don't know but it just it wrecked me dude watching it as an adult it's so well done jennifer lawrence what an incredible casting god that casting director needs a fucking raise also gail toxic Anyway, Hunger Games to me is uh, one of the best pieces of media to come out of, of, I think, our generation, like as Gen Z, like as a piece of media that we all obsessed over. Hunger Games, wow, such a well-written book and such a well-executed movie series. And the prequel, I will say uh, some people have an issue with the prequel because, like I said, there are plot holes. And if you didn't read the book, you'll have questions at the end because the end is kind of condensed. It's in three parts and part three is really short. And... In my opinion, I think it should have been one of the longest. But I enjoyed it nonetheless. Tumblythe, hot. Not much else to say. I think he did an incredible job. At the end, you see him fucking lose it. You see him lose it. And uh, it takes a great actor to display that range of emotion and that descent into that emotion from his calm, cool, and collected you know, like processing all the information and then finally landing on that decision to uh, uh, just give in to those dark impulses. I think he did it well. It wasn't corny. It wasn't cringe. Also, the editing choices in the movie were really good. There are moments where there's swelling cinematic background music. And then there are other moments, like at the very end, when he's yelling and he's beating the dirt in the gr- and he's shooting at the birds, the mocking jays, the jabber jays in the trees. And he's just like, oh, lose his mind. And he feels betrayed. Then he feels you know, entitled maybe to Lucy Gray's uh, loyalty. All these things I did for you. And this is how you treat me. You know, he, it, oh God, I have chills. He did such a great job and there's no background music. And it makes, it makes it even more chilling. Like that he's coming to these realizations and he's just seething. And then it cuts, you know, in the next scene is him leaning into and growing into the metaphorical suit of President Snow. He goes from young Coriolanus, who's a student at the university, to the future president of Pan Am. Wow. 
he did a great job. And I really, really hope that they do a second prequel. Another book series I want to talk about. And again, if you're planning on reading this, if you're not, I'm about to talk about Kingdom of Ash, which is the eighth and final book in the Throne of Glass series. And even if you don't, like, if you haven't read it, if you don't plan on reading it, uh, listen, because I have thoughts. And maybe it could convince you to read it. If you are currently reading it, I would skip ahead maybe like five minutes. Okay. Okay, Kingdom of Ash. Aelin and Rowan getting the ending that they deserved. Everything to me. Sobbed. There is a... I'm just going to speak freely because if you're like planning on reading Kingdom of Ash, just fucking skip ahead. There is a character named Manon. And she's a witch and she's got this like coven of, of 12 witches around her. And they're, they call themselves the 13. There's a moment in this book where they pay the ultimate sacrifice for the greater good of all the inhabitants of uh, Tarasin, of Irelia, of, you know, this, this mystical land they live in where they fly straight into death and they sacrifice themselves. And to Manon, these are her, she's the, the coven leader these are her people. They have ridden for her. They defend her with their lives and they pay the ultimate sacrifice. I sobbed to the point where I could not read the page. I couldn't read the page. I was crying so hard. Like I kept wiping my, my tears and they kept, I was like, I can't read. I'm frustrated. And I went to the bathroom, eyes bloodshot red. Like it really affected me. And I wasn't really that tied to Manon's storyline. I was like, yeah, I see how she's, you know, interweaving into Aelin's larger story. But with Manon, I was like, who gives a fuck? Oh, at the end, she's the one I cried over the most. She, just incredible. And I've seen so many people not so many, but some people on uh, TikTok have gotten man and black beak tattoos. And now I get it. Now, having finished the series, I get it. And Sarah J. Moss talking about how there could be another installment in the Throne of Glass series because she loves Aelin and Rowan so much. She didn't want to let them go. I'll freak the fuck out right now. Rowan, this is a hot take. Rowan, I might like him more than Resand and Akatar. Okay, I might like him more. As of right now, having just finished Kingdom of Ash, having just gone through that intense emotional journey with Aelin and Rowan, I do love Rowan a little bit more. Also, Rowan in my mind is played by Ewan Mitchell from uh, Aemond Targaryen. Put him up here. He's played by Ewan as Aemond. Okay, with the like long white hair pulled back in the in the leathers, the flying leathers on his dragon. Like that's very much Rowan to me. That being said, also I am starting Fourth Wing. I know Fourth Wing's sequel just came out, which is why I've been waiting to read it. I don't know bullshit about Fourth Wing. I know it's about a dragon academy, which I'm like obsessed with, but also like I'm almost 30. You know, like I'm 26. Um <laughs> reading about dragon academies yeah dude i'm reading about dragon academies i'm reading about dragons i'm reading about witches i'm reading about fairies and fae and sometimes uh i'm reading about mystical creatures i'm reading about love and sex and fucking <laughs> i'm reading about dragons fucking each other i'm reading about people fucking each other on a dragon back i'm reading about uh mystical fairy uh ears and lands and little forest creatures yeah yeah i'm reading about that you guys should really read this incredible nonfiction. I don't give a fuck. I want to read about dragons fucking each other. <laughs> I want to read about the Dragon Academy. Who's going to win the Dragon Academy? I only care about fantasy. Usually, 
usually there is a, I do want to read, uh, I have a bunch of nonfiction books people have recommended to me. I don't know if I'll ever fucking read it. If I'm going to read a nonfiction book, it's going to be an academic art history textbook, to be honest. And I have a couple on my, my bookshelf that I've read, but it like, I have to be hyper fixated on a certain movement or a certain artist or a certain piece to like buy a book at Barnes and Noble and sit down and read it and underline it and highlight it and take notes on it. You know what I mean? Like I have to be in that mindset to do that. I'm always in the mindset to read a fantasy novel. Dragons fucking each other. Yeah, I'm going to read the dragon book, bro. Yeah, I'm going to read the freaking dragon book. So anyway, I'm about to start fourth wing. I've heard really good things about it. I don't know if uh, Rebecca, whatever her name is, the author, she didn't read or she didn't write Ninth House, did she? Who the fuck wrote Ninth House? Lee Bardugo. Let me tell you something about Ninth House. This book was a fucking wreck. It was a train wreck. The ending was like, what? It was almost trauma porn. Like it really goes into the traumatic background of the lead character for no reason. The ending is also stupid. Like it doesn't make sense and it leaves you on a cliffhanger. And I don't know when the second one comes out. Alex Stern. Where's the, is the second one out? How, how the fuck does Ninth House have four out of five on Goodreads and 92% like this book? It was definitely compelling. It was, it was an interesting read, but I was like, when my standard is The Secret History, to me, The Secret History is my favorite book ever. I love The Secret History. And I have other books that I really enjoyed. Of course, I love Akatar. Like, of course, I'm an Akatar stand for life. But The Secret History is my favorite book ever. It is beautifully done. It is incredibly well written. It's a compelling story that ends in tragedy, but also exactly how how I wanted it to. I didn't even know I wanted it to end like that. The characters are so well written. The characters are so good. And the beauty of the secret history is that the narrator, Richard, is unreliable. That's the whole point of the book, is that you don't know if you can trust what he's saying. And that makes the characters even more interesting, is that he wants to fit in so bad and he feels like he has genuine relationships with these people, but it's just not enough. It's just not enough. He'll never be one of them. As, as try as he may, he will never be one of them. Even up to the very end, there's, there's multiple tragedies in the book and it's just, it's devastating, but it's tea and it's drama and it's so well written. And then I read Ninth House after that and I was like, ugh, what a letdown. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think Lee Bardugo also wrote, yeah, the book that the TV show Shadow and Bone is based on, Six of Crows. Oh, she also wrote Shadow and Bone. Yeah, that's the, the name of the book, which I enjoyed Shadow and Bone, the TV show. I tried to get into season two and I was like, I forgot what happened. And then I never finished it. But I really liked season one and I liked the cast. It was kind of like, you know, quirky tween romance fantasy but i'm fucking with that if it's well done i'm fucking with it you know i'm fucking with that i want to alert you all to a <laughs> a new phrase that i'm about to overuse and i saw it on a tiktok comment and i said yeah you're coming home with me another term for being horny <laughs> determined to breed i'm determined to breed Bitch, that's crazy. Determined to breed. I also saw this comment. <laughs> and of course I stole it immediately. 
under like an edit or a whatever of a hot man, someone commented, I need him, unfortunately. <laughs> I need him, unfortunately. And that's so real because there are some people you're attracted to and you need them and it's just, it's just a shame. I need him, unfortunately. Hate to admit it. Hate to admit it to myself. That was me with Jacob Lordy. I need him, unfortunately. I tried to resist it. But luckily that was short-lived, okay? Jacob Lordy, I know you want me. It's not going to happen, bud. I've already moved on. We moved on to Tom Blythe, okay? Now, does Tom Blythe want me? No. So we're probably going to move on quickly after that. But right now, I'm in the throes of it. Into the thick of it. Into the thick of it. Remember that shit? Why were people cosplay dancing to Into the Thick of It by the Backyardigans during the pandemic? When I say we have not recovered from the pandemic, that's what the fuck I mean. Everyone blacked out and forgot about that. I remember. I remember. I remember it all. I remember the Spitzwa video of him twirling. I remember it. I remember everything. Great song. I remember everything uh, by uh, Zach Bryan and Casey Musgraves. Great song. Oh my God. Songs of the week. Thank you for reminding me. Song of the week is Dispo by Carol G and Young Miko. It's Baby Miko. Ay, ay, dame contacto, te digo mi diablo. That's not that song. That's, uh, the fuck song is that? Dame contacto, Riri. Riri by Young Miko. Love that song. Dame contacto, te digo mi diablo. Yeah, I love Dispo by Carol G. I love, uh... How do you say it? Culona by Carol G and Peso Pluma. I love Quema by Peso Pluma. I love um, Igualito a Mi Apa by Peso Pluma. Um, he's going to be at some TikTok music festival in Arizona. And I'm like freaking the fuck out. I'm going to be like number one viewer on that live stream. I love him, dude. I've also been on this wave recently. Okay. If you're looking for some music to be fucking dramatic to around your house, Go ahead and look up Nocturne Opera 9 number 2 radio. Get into that. I think op in this in this context means opera. Opus. Fuck. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> opera. Chopin. Is it Chopin? Chopin's Nocturne Opus 9 number 2. Chopin's second Nocturne. How to pronounce Chopin. Chopin. I'm so smart. Chopin. Fuck. <laughs> Chopin. Chopin. Okay, let's do the American pronunciation. Chopin. 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 He's a Polish composer, Frederic Chopin. Chopin. But he wasn't French. Chopin. I know the entire French national anthem by heart in French. Would you like me to sing it for you as we, <laughs> as I bid you adieu? Broski Nation, it's been a pleasure, a privilege. Please subscribe to this channel. Please listen on Spotify and Apple Music. Rate me five stars for the love of Christ, please. I am begging. It allows me to keep making more episodes for this country's enjoyment. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Brittany Broski channel. And without further ado, here is the French National Anthem in French.
Allons à fond du la patrie, la jeu de croire est arrivé. Contre nous du la tyrannie, les tendances sanglantes et lavées. Les tendances sanglantes et lavées. Entendez-vous dans le compagne murgir ses féroces soldats. Ils viennent jusqu'au dans nos bras. Dégager nos filles et nos compagnes aux armes citoyens. Formez vos bataillons. Marchons, marchons. Qu'elles sont impures. Abreuve à notre yon. We'll see you next week. Bye.